Hey folks, Randy Newberg here, one day home in beautiful Bozeman, Montana, uh, in between hunts. Uh, was lucky enough to catch one of my good friends who is a real thinker uh, in the world of hunting, uh, how the world looks at us as hunters. And he happened to be coming through Bozeman. And I said, how lucky is it that I happen to be in town that day? And that person is Keith Balford. He's the director of marketing at the Boone and Crockett Club. Uh, I call him the communications guy over at the Boone and Crockett Club. So Keith, I hope I don't, uh, I don't miss, uh, mislabel you, promote you, or demote you in any way. But uh, no, communications is fine. I, that's if, if I turn around and and look back, that's mostly what I'm involved in. So. Yeah, well, call, call me what you will. Okay, well, thanks for being here because once we get through this introduction here, we're going to talk a lot about a new communications initiative that the Boone and Crockett Club has. A lot of you have probably seen it. It's called Hunt Right, Hunt Fair Chase. And uh, we're going to get into the history of how that got, how that came to be, why it's relevant today. So many things that are going to, hopefully when you're we're done with this podcast, the audience thinks about, yeah, yeah, I I need to be thinking about that. That That's important to where I'm going and what I want to see in hunting. But before we get to that, uh, we want to thank the great folks at Orion Coolers uh, who make this podcast possible. Uh, if you use promo code Randy and you go to orioncoolers.com, you're going to be able to get this really cool tumbler that they make with our Hunt Talk logo on it. So the, the best cooler you can buy, orioncooler.com and use promo code Randy. And the title sponsor of this program, huge supporter of the Boone and Crockett Club, is Leupold Optics. Keith, you guys have been working with Leupold since... Since 2000, 2000. Yeah. And they've been one of our largest and most consistent and ardent supporters. So yeah, we, we love our friends at Leupold and Stevens. Yeah, and for me, they are the title sponsor of everything I do. My TV show, my podcast, my website, my you name it. I I almost I, I probably have gold rings or well I got a gold ring on my finger but I've I, my wife would lay claim to that not not Leopold and Stevens but anyhow folks they're a great company they support everything that you do hunting public lands conservation when it comes to optics they are the leader in in the optics world not just in the product but also in who they are as a company so I hope that you will support them. Uh, additionally, Onyx Maps. Uh, Onyx Maps has a new layer. They do. The, the, they worked with you guys at Boone and Crockett. The where Boone you, and Crockett layer. Yeah, you click on it, and it'll tell you how many entries came from that county. Yep. yep. <laughs> That's by, amazing. By species, by county. It's it's a mapping layer. It's it's really cool. It's a super tool to you know, take a look at, you know, where you may want to hunt, where you are hunting. Yeah. Look at, look at some history. When, um, you're, when you're doing your drawing applications, drawing applications, uh, applying for points, you know, all that sort of thing. It's, it's, it's another great use of the club's records data, which is really what it was intended for is these type of uses and, and scientific management of game. Yeah. You know, it is the history of big game hunting in North America and you can learn a lot from it. Yeah. So onxmaps.com. You again, we're making this easy for everybody. Use promo code Randy and you're going to get 20% off all of the app products. So they are 
They're an amazing company. We uh, we did an antelope hunt with them. Uh, they sponsored a sweepstakes, and we took the winner to New Mexico, and she shot a great antelope. And just a wonderful company. A uh, bunch of people who are serious hunters who said, "There's got to be a better way." And uh, they built they built a better mousetrap. They did. <laughs> they did. They're right there in Missoula, where our headquarters is. Yeah, that's right. And then last, but certainly not least, is uh, GoHunt.com. Those of you who who listen and, and watch what we do, you hear me talk about the Go Hunt Insider Service. And I was just telling Keith, we got back from uh, Wyoming yes, last, late last night. Our friend Jim Bagetel, uh shot a Boone and Crockett antelope down there. Again, researching that unit on uh, Go Hunt. Everybody's like, well, it's... It's not that great of a unit. Well, guess what? <laughs> Someone needs to tell this antelope it's not that great of a unit. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we were down in Wyoming hunting the Wind River Range. I'm like, how is it that I, with my one point, I can draw this unit where I get to hunt with a rifle starting September 20th? And you'll see that episode. Our camera guy, Marcus, shot a bull on that hunt. And I give these examples because... That's how we use the Go Hunt system for our research, for our applications, for our drawing odds, for researching over the counter and, and general units. And right now, between now and October 31st, they have a 30 day free trial. So if you go out to their website and use this URL, it's gohunt.com forward slash Randy. And you're going to sign up for a 30 day free trial. You, can, you get to see everything that I use. And then after 30 days, the odds are you're probably going to want to buy it. So anyhow, with that out of the way, Keith, I really appreciate you coming through Bozeman. You're on your way somewhere, I'm sure. Uh, I'm on the way to West Yellowstone for okay. a, a spay casting clinic. Okay. Teaching or learning? Teaching. Oh, wow. That's one of my other vices. <laughs> spay casting and swinging flies for trout and steelhead. Really? I had no idea. Yeah. Guy's got to have a lot of vices. Oh, well, for sure. I, I don't drink. I don't smoke. Uh, I, I don't have any interest in, in other adult activities. So my, my vice is hunting and fishing. I, and I'm I tell with you. Yeah, I tell my wife that, and she's like, you know what? That's a good idea. I'm glad those that you don't have those other vices. You just go hunting. <laughs> Maybe it's not quite that simple, but anyhow, yeah. Keith has been on this podcast in the past a couple times. Uh, one time we had Shane Mahoney on here with us. Shane's a great thinker and speaker on these topics we're, we're going to get into. Uh, but... Uh, if you are involved at all in social media, if you subscribe to any of the magazines, uh, all the magazines I've been getting, you guys have your your uh, campaign. campaign going there. Mm -hmm. uh, and in a lot of places, and it's about Hunt Right, Hunt Fair Chase. First, I guess, what what's that all about, Keith? And then we'll get into how and why and sure. where is it going? And well, it's, it's, it's a great story. Um, the... The long story short on the campaign is it's it's a it's a part journey back in time relative to you know where our uh, code of ethics came from, where fair chase came from, how this actually became part of a conservation ethic. Um, you know, we the, the club was very instrumental in this, uh, going back to our founder Theodore Roosevelt. This became. Uh, how we operated as public hunters, as recreational sportsmen. Um, it became kind of our 
um, you know, our code of conduct, how we approached hunting. And, uh, you know, it's over 130 years old. Every once in a while, it's a good idea to revisit some of those roots, um, you know, take a look at it, knock the rust off. Uh, we're at a point in time now where, uh, you know, there are a lot of detractors to hunting. Yeah. There's a lot of things coming at us. Yep. Uh, and they're not all positive. Uh, but this is a positive aspect of hunting. This is a positive part uh, that non-hunters should be aware of, that that sportsmen are principled men and women that hold themselves to a, a higher code of ethic, and, and that code of ethic extends beyond what's legal. Uh, and that's unique. Uh, yeah. That's that's unique in a lot of activities. Um, yeah, in today's world, there seems to be the mindset of, hey, it's legal, so don't tell me what to do, or this is my right. This is not a privilege. This, this is my right. And who are you to say we should behave some way or another, or we should express our behaviors and make sure that our motivations that we state match our messaging? So you, you guys have a lot of work ahead of you, given the current, what, what I read as the current uh, Well, that's, that was one of the... the, the the reasons, the drivers behind this is uh, there was a point in time when, you know, as a hunting community, you know, we talked openly about our ethics. We talked yeah. about our values. We talked about our motivations. We talked about the experience and the adventure. We talked about, uh, you know, the character traits learned through hunting, like self-reliance, self-esteem, self-discipline, self-determination. Uh, you know, this was, was, very front and center in our literature. It was front and center in our books and our magazine articles. Uh, and, and somewhere along the way, we, we lost that conversation. Um, some would argue that the kill started to su supplant right. that as being what defines hunting. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I'm sure, as, as all your listeners know, there's way, way more to hunting oh, yeah, than just that's... pulling a trigger or turning loose an arrow. Right. Um, and so it, it, it was time for this, uh, and it's being extremely well-received. Uh, there are some people that just have a hard time uh, when you talk about ethics because, right. you know, inevitably... You know, someone in swimming against the current, right? And and they don't want to be that guy or that gal who's who's you know been found out swimming against the current, and yeah. you know they're offended by that. Mm -hmm. And then you have people that are offended by people that choose to swim against the current. They right. don't they don't like the fact that uh, you know their actions and what they're doing is representing all hunger. all of us. Yeah, yeah. and and. You know, we don't live in a microcosm anymore. Our, our, our hunting used to be contained to our conventions and, and our magazines and our personal photo albums. No more. Yeah, no more. Uh, with, with social media and the internet. Uh, TV. TV, television, all, absolutely. All this, this is all out there. And, um, you know, as we know, we're, we're a minority. The majority of people don't hunt. Uh, right. You know, they thankfully still... Uh, tolerate or accept hunting, but you know that tide can and has been turning uh, when they start seeing things that uh, don't show respect for the animal, don't show respect for the privilege, yeah, um, and, and and just behavior in general. And I'm, I mean, we're seeing it 
across the board. I mean, look at what the NFL is going, going through. through right. College basketball just the other day in a big FBI investigation and you know yeah. turning over not only illegal activity but unethical activity and heads are rolling and right. So um, public image. Uh, this is this is where we're at, and social media is is you know created a vehicle where you know that's now more important than anything. Yeah, social media has built a glass bubble around every activity. Mm -hmm. Whether we like it or not, we are in the fishbowl just by the fact that we are part of society and society now communicates way differently than they did 10, certainly 20 years ago, sure. even more than so than 10 years ago. And, and with that comes a whole different dynamic. Well, and it's global too. I yeah. mean, you're, you're seeing people weighing in <sighs> against Boy. hunting coming from countries and cultures where there is no public hunting. Yeah. that uh, it, it stands to reason they'd be against it or don't understand it. Yeah. And, you know, through this campaign, I've, I've learned a lot. And one of those things is that people just often object to something that they don't understand. Mm -hmm. It's just natural. I don't understand I, it. I don't get this. I, I object. Right. And I'll say in other activities in the world, I kind of have that, if I have a lack of understanding and my very first impression of something is not, uh, how would I say, exemplary what I've seen, I have that same response. Yeah, you, you throw down the wall right there. Yeah, it's like... Close, close mine. Boom. What a bunch of knuckleheads. Yeah, done. Yeah. And so I, I can see exactly where some people, they, they see... <laughs> Some of the things I see out there in media channels, and they got, if they don't have any perspective or context to put that in, no wonder they're. Yeah, and we're, they're we've it. lost them. Um, you know, yeah. this is a democratic society. Uh, people speak through the ballot box, and you know we're seeing more and more wildlife management yeah. through the ballot box instead of science. We're seeing yeah. more and more. Uh, you know, courtroom biology, we're seeing public opinion uh, mm -hmm. stepping in. Um, you know, we just lost grizzly bear hunting in British, British Columbia, Columbia of all places. Yeah, imagine that. A place with as rich of a hunting tradition as British Columbia. The places we used to read about Jack O'Connor going yeah. there and all these places, all of a sudden, that province has said no more. Yeah. That's... If you're a hunter and that doesn't get your attention, you, you are living in an insulated, isolated environment. Yeah, the, the, the old what's happening over there doesn't affect me just does not apply anymore. No more. I mean, Shane Mahoney has talked many times about Cecil the Lion and how that might have been on a different continent, but within our community... It is considered part of our community and the ripples are going to continue. The pool is never going to get calm. The, the lake is always going to have rough water on account of things like Cecil the Lion and who knows what the next event might be. Well, and that's, that was another, uh, you know, driving force behind this Hunt Fair Chase initiative is, is it was pretty apparent. The public just was going, uh-uh. Yeah, You know, and a lot of this was aimed at this particular hunter and what he was doing or how he did it and or how he didn't do it. And, you know, all of a sudden, the, you know, the, the ethics of hunting in general was being yeah. lumped in with the same, uh, you know, we're seeing the same words as hunting and poaching being used together in the right. same sentence. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was interesting. It was not last year. I think the year before there was a couple in Canada that speared a bear, a black bear with a camera attached to the spear or something. And it blew up and Under Armour dropped their sponsorship of those people. And and I started my YouTube channel just shortly before that. And we have an Alaska black bear hunt, which it was a great hunt, great story. Uh, but that's my number one YouTube video by far. And when I look at where my, my uh, analytics say that viewership comes from all of my other videos and where the search comes from, all my other videos are different. This black bear hunt, the search, a lot of it comes from foreign countries. When you look at the geo demographics, a lot of it comes from very urban areas. And the search term is always something trophy hunting, bears, but yep. so it raised my awareness of Randy, everything you put out there someone is critiquing and they're probably not critiquing it through the lens of a hunter conservationist. No, no, they're not. And, um, you know, one of the goals, one of the purposes of this, this effort was to help sportsmen, your listeners, everybody that, that goes hunting to become better brand ambassadors for hunting. Yeah. Understand that image is important. Understand that our actions, our decisions are important bring forward, put our best foot forward, you know, show our value, show our principles, show our motivations, show the meat utilization, mm -hmm. talk about the experience, talk about family. Uh, you know, all those things that we know, you know, we're not talking about. Yeah. And, and um, you know, I just saw a wonderful video here um, that, um, you know, talked about, you know, skipping to the last chapter. I mean, we're very good at showing our field photos, mm -hmm. but that doesn't tell the story. No. And, and, and that's all people see is dead animals mm -hmm. and, they, and no context. They're going to arrive at a different conclusion sure. than what the hunt really is. Sure. And yeah. so that's, that's another uh, goal of this is to, you know, get folks on the same page that thinking that our image is important and what they do individually and collectively reflects on hunting and hunting as a whole. Uh, we know that hunting is a significant mechanism for conservation. Uh, that story needs to be told. Um, but, you know, the conduct and, and, and the character of its participants is, you know, vitally important. I mean, look yeah. what the NFL is trying to do or has been doing with with domestic violence right. and, and that, I mean, this goes to character. Right. Their brand, they have 1,500 brand ambassadors. Yeah. <laughs> Whether they like it or not, every yeah. one of those people on those teams is a brand ambassador for the NFL, the same as every one of us who Absolutely. buy a license. Absolutely. And they, they've, rightfully so, came yeah. down hard on that. Yeah, no. and I, I look at the the world I operate in, Keith. I and you guys produced a TV show for quite a while. Uh, I'm in the TV world. I'm in the podcast world, and I hold myself and others who produce content like I do to a higher standard. And I think we should. Well, I mean, there's there's no FCC. I mean, there doesn't seem to be a governing body for this, and so it is up to the individual producer. Yeah. Uh, and the networks to, you know, have high standards. Yeah. And because once it's on TV, it, it's available to 
Everybody Every, and anybody. Everybody. And, and that becomes the, whatever is that lowest common piece of content that's out there in the public domain, on, let's say TV, for example, that lowest standard becomes the example everyone uses to criticize. Sure. But it also becomes a barrier for someone else's behavior to say, well, it's not as bad as how that guy does things and he's on TV. Well, you know, it forces a lot of, you know, your listeners to have to explain, defend, and apologize, and, and that's a tough position to be in right. when, when somebody says, well, you know, you're talking about ethical behavior and concern for wildlife and concern for habitat, and, but look at this. How do yeah. you explain this? Right. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, the last thing I would ever want is for, like you said, my listeners or my viewers to have to try to explain or somehow become an apologist for something Randy Newberg did. Right. I hope I never do something by accident that does that. And if I ever do anything like that intentionally, I should be grabbed by the back of the neck and thrown out. Don't circle the wagons around me if I do something stupid. Throw me out of the circle. (laughs) That's the way I look at it. And some people are like, Randy, that's pretty harsh. Maybe it is, but hunting is that important to me that I'm tired of having to circle the wagons all that time. Sure. And maybe I'd look at it a little bit too bluntly, but... Well, I, I mean, if, if you go back and, and, and look at how we got here from a historical standpoint, that it makes sense. I mean, conservation was birthed out of crisis. Uh, the 1800s was the, was the era of extermination. Yeah. You know, commercial market hunting... Uh, unregulated recreational public hunting, uh, irresponsible land use, habitat loss. We, 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 and, and just, we talked about Shane. I'll steal this quote from Shane. At, in 1800, late 1800s, uh, about the time the club was forming and Roosevelt was engaging in this, if, if the Endangered Species Act would have been in place, and you maybe heard this from Shane. Yeah, and it's a great point, though. Yeah, every species of game and bird that we hunt today would either have been listed or threatened. Yep. Every. Every. Yep. Everyone. Hey, back, and he uses, like, he says 1890 or 1900, something like that, yeah, whatever date he picks. He picks. The, the numbers are, were that low. The numbers were that low. And this was 1887 is when, when Roosevelt formed the Boone and Crockett Club. Uh, and, you know, he and, and a group of his guys, uh, they were all sportsmen. They saw what was happening, and they just basically said, this is not sustainable. We've got to have a new model, a new operating model, a new view of treating natural resources, including wildlife. And so they came together selfishly to focus on big game, which is what they cared about. Mm-hmm. But it didn't take them long to realize that habitat was king yeah. and and that you know, an entire new philosophy was needed and they called that philosophy conservation yeah. and they defined it as wise use with prudent, you know, wise use without waste. Right. And, you know, so they rolled up their sleeves into this crisis and they started strategizing and meeting and trying to figure out what, you know, what, what needed to be done. And then, you know, here comes Roosevelt saying, well, here's an idea the best way to save what's left of the wildlife we have is to continue to hunt them. <laughs> you know, the, the total counterintuitive sales pitch of the, of the century. Right. But 
as it turns out, he was right. Yeah. You know, he, he believed as, as did the founding members of the club that, you know, history shows what we have access to, what we value is nourished, it's protected, it's advocated for, it survives, it flourishes. What's not valued is neglected. Right. And he wanted to make sure that hunting was still going to be allowed because he viewed sportsmen of the day, hunters and anglers, yeah. as the driving force for this new model of conservation. They were the ones that were out boots on the ground, seeing the waste, seeing the loss, uh, having a harder time finding game, having a harder time finding fish. They were engaged. They could do something about it. Now, the best way to continue to, or the best way to say what was left is to continue to hunt them. He said, there's a caveat to that. There's going to be a new order. How <laughs> we hunt is going to be important. How? How. Right. And, and, and what our motivations are. So there, there was two things happening in concert here. One was... Uh, Roosevelt and Grinnell and, and, and those early club founders knew that there had to be law and order. You know, back then there was no game laws. There was no, it was a year round hunting season. There was no bag limits. There was no science of wildlife management. There was no funding for any of this. Yep. So he knew that sportsmen of the day were going to have to change their ways. Yeah. Because they were used to, you know, free-for-all. Right. Whatever I want to do. Right. And then the other thing, other side of that coin was commercial market hunting. You know, that w was responsible for, you know, large part of the demise of bison, um, which is a story everybody knows pretty well. But what was right. happening to the bison was happening to our elk and our antelope and our mule deer and our sheep and wild turkeys and our ducks. Birds. birds are, passenger yeah. pigeon gone. So... Commercial market hunting had to go extinct, not yeah. not not our critters. Which, when you think about that, a commercial activity is going to be pushed out of the picture, eliminated for the benefit of wildlife and conservation. Yep, yep. So <laughs> while, while the <laughs> that's club a was, bold way of thinking. Yeah. So while the club was working on legislation to do away with commercial market hunting, which as we know, they eventually were successful with, with the Lacey Act. Yeah. Um, Roosevelt came up with this concept of fair chase. Yeah. Okay, we need something. If we're doing away with commercial market hunting that has no code, uh, that's sole motivation was profit and, and you know, quantity, not quality of the chase, not quality of the hunt. It was all about quantity, how much you can shoot, how much you can do efficiently. This is how I make a living. And then on the other hand, you've got sportsmen that are, you know, in it for personal reasons, not profit. Yeah. So hatch this idea of this code of ethic. This is what it meant to be a true sportsman. Uh, accept game laws, uh, you know, follow a code you know, stay within, you know, stay within your lane relative to, you know, how much you took, stay within bag limits, leave some for tomorrow. You know, that was, that's where a hunting ethic actually became part of an overall conservation ethic. Think about tomorrow. Yeah, I could shoot 30 ducks today, but I don't need 30 ducks. Let's just, you know, let's have a good outing, shoot a few ducks, leave some for tomorrow. Um, and so... That is really where this idea of a hunting ethic came from. It's out of that same wildlife crisis, 
we still want to hunt. We need those advocates in the field. We need sportsmen to be driving this. So they still need to be able to do what they love to do, but at a socially acceptable level. And, you know, sportsmen in that time, early uh, 1900s, uh, became, you know, revered members of the community, yeah. uh, not only for their skill, uh, their woodsmanship, their marksmanship, the ability to acquire food, but how they conducted themselves. Yeah. I mean, that's where that, you know, that kind of tweed suit guy, <laughs> you know, he, he wasn't a thug. He was a gentleman hunter, right. uh, a sportsman. And, and that's really where the term sport hunting came from was not that hunting's a sport. It was a sporting approach. Okay. Huh. I wondered where that, because whenever you say sportsman, people say it's not a sport. And yeah. I agree. It is yeah. not a sport. So that's good. Yeah, I, I had no idea approach. that's where that origin of that term was. Mm-hmm. Huh. So that's, that's kind of a little bit of the history of where our ethics came from. Uh, and that's very much a big part of this campaign. Uh, if you get to or encourage people to go to the website, huntfairchase.com, you'll see a lot of that history. Uh, it talks about just, just what I talked about, but in, more in depth. Um, and then there's a lot of nuances to that, obviously. Uh, as game laws came about, as wildlife recovered, um, you know, conservation was still important. Uh, limiting ourselves was still important. Um, but there was other benefits besides the ability to continue to hunt and recovering wildlife that this hunting ethic taught us. Like I already mentioned about, you know, those character traits of self-reliance. And this was, was also part of of Roosevelt's genius. Roosevelt was very much a, he was into patriotism, nationalism, citizenship, um, self-reliance, self-reliance, living the hearty life, uh, sturdy pleasure at the chase. Um, you know, those things he felt. Uh, built character, yeah. and it made for good husbands. It made for good fathers. It made for good citizens. It made for good soldiers. Yeah, that uh, this was all his kind of, <laughs> you know, behind the scenes chess match. Um, and he was right. I he mean, was. that's we hunt. I know a lot of people that hunt. You know, a lot of people that hunt. These are some of the finest human beings I know. Yeah, uh, you know committed to family, committed to their religion, committed to their careers, committed to their communities, yep. uh, you know, do the right thing, do no harm, give of their time. Yeah. And, 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 you know, these people are, you know, pillars of the community that we kind of forgot that that's who the sportsman was. Yeah. You know, that's who the hunter was. And, you know, that's important for, for hunters today to know and, and recognize, but certainly we need to be telling this story to the non-hunting public. They, they need to see that, that that we're not just blood sport thugs, right. which is really at the center of the anti-hunter agenda is to, to, to smear who we are, what we do, uh, they've made it personal. It's it's not really anti-hunting anymore. Right. It's, you know, opposing the activity. It's now opposing you personally, anti-hunter. Right. Oh yeah, for and sure. And that's 
in my mind and from what I've seen, that's even more dangerous because that welcomes aboard a whole bunch of people that wouldn't really even care less about hunting. Well, hunting, I don't hunt, I don't care. Yeah. But that guy's doing what? You know, this is bad. They're conducting themselves like this, you know. And in social media, that, that, that welcomes aboard a whole global audience that, is, is not good news no i'm I, I the being in the position i'm in with well podcasts that people are listening to tv show all that i get put in the spotlight a lot of times where it's like gosh i don't really want to be this quote-unquote spokesperson but i am it's, it's part of where i am and even if i didn't have all these platforms i still bear that responsibility but what it has done for me is given me a perspective of just how big the the spotlight is for anyone who does something that sheds or, or puts hunting in a bad light, that we have an activity or someone, an example, the outlier example people use dis, discounts or, or erodes all of the great things that we do. And... The, there's always the anti-hunter who that that just confirms with them, but then there's the non-hunter, obviously, who the more of those who start fa- finding that and saying, hmm, maybe these guys aren't what I think they are. Maybe, maybe, maybe I should be concerned. Maybe, and that's where it seems to start twisting away from the activity of hunting towards what you were saying, the anti-hunter, the the, the individual it becomes personalized it becomes i don't like this person well i don't like who they are there's also an uh, the other side of that coin um, this effort certainly is not all about it's not intended to be you know pointing fingers and exposing bad behavior or anything like that uh we actually need to be doing the exact opposite we need to be telling the good story yeah uh, we need to do be doing more of putting forth um those things that are good and wholesome about hunting and certainly fair chase is one of them you know how we conduct ourselves the code that we you know telling uh you know you're not going to see anti-hunting efforts out there saying hey look here's these hunters that that, (laughs) you know not only follow the law but hold themselves accountable to a higher code of conduct that extends beyond the law (laughs) that completely undermines their whole shtick they, that's right. that's their boogeyman. They don't want that out there. Yep. Um, so that's that's the other side of this effort is helping uh, you know today's sportsmen understand that, giving them the ammunition to uh, articulate that themselves. Like I said, become better brand ambassadors. Uh, because at the end of the day, uh, you know, th- th- there's no Madison Avenue ad firm that we can hire that can go fix this brand image. No. We have to do it ourselves from the inside out. Yeah, no, that's, and I think you you made a point, and I don't know where it happened. Uh, somewhere in my life, it happened where it became more about the kill than it was about the hunt. And I remember reading my dad's hunting magazines, and there were some remarkable writers who. It would take you along on an experience. And the experiences are what captured my imagination, made me think this is what hunting is, this is what a quote-unquote sportsman is. And now 
I look at a lot of our media. It's stuff I, you know, I'm part of the media, so I, I lump us all together. It seems that very often or more often than not, we have it about the end result rather than the adventure, the struggle, the challenge. Uh, you guys invited me to speak at your uh, event, your youth night at uh, Springfield last summer. And it, I was grateful for the opportunity to do that, but it got me thinking about what are these uh, activity, what is it about hunting that prepares so many people well for life? And I told these young hunters, I said, you know, you don't understand this, but hunting is one of the greatest career and life skills. Not because you learn how to acquire something, your food or whatever, that's all helpful, but because you're going to fail nine out of 10 times and you're going to learn from your, you're going to develop skills of how to learn from your mistakes. You're going to accept the, the challenges and the difficulties that it's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be handed to you. And I look at young people who, who hunt and they do have a little bit of that ability to see through the fog. And you can tell, you know what, as they become adults, or even if they are young adults, you can see they've had some skills and some life experiences through hunting that have made them more ready, more capable, and more successful for a future career in whatever they might want to do. Yeah, I mean, there's no class I took in all my education that was called problem solving. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't either. <laughs> uh, and But that's, that's what hunting is. It's, yeah. it's challenges, problem solving, uh, you know, those things, self-reliance, self-determination, um, those are life skills. And, you know, I've got two young daughters and, you know, they're dealing with the problems that you would as a sophomore in high school. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's boys at school, it's sports, it's this, it's that. Yep. And, you know, I look at that and go, well, they're, they're learning problem solving. Mm -hmm. you know, they're learning what's important. They're learning how to compartmentalize things. Uh, you know, deal with the things you can deal with, control the things you can control. Don't worry about the things you can't control. Um, these are conversations about hunting that we're trying and, and, and putting forth in this effort. Yeah. Um, you know, this isn't about you did something wrong. So, yeah. you know, you're, you're a, you know, scumbag. Right. That's no, that, no, that'll no, never, you know, get. fair, fair chase uh, transcends all of that. Yeah. And, and I feel fortunate. And I, and I told this story here not too long ago. I mean, I work at the headquarters of the Boone and Crockett Club. It's open to the public. And we get some people coming in that are curious. And then we get some people that walk in that, you know, got a chip on their shoulder. Yeah. Well, I had this lady come in one day and she looked like she wanted to unload on <laughs> And, you know, you said, okay, communications guy. Well, yeah, I get buzzed when they see these people coming. So I, I come up. Long story short, she just said, you know, I just wanted to talk to somebody. I said, okay. And she went in to tell me a story that she's a single mom living in Montana. She's got a young son. All of his friends hunt. Mm -hmm. And she didn't come from a hunting background. The father's not in the picture. She didn't know what to do. He wanted to hunt. He wanted to learn to hunt. She couldn't think of anything. She didn't know where to go. So she figured, well, I, I guess there must be some type of 
certification that allows you to go hunting. So she looked into it, figured out there was a hunter certification course that FWP put on. She signed her son up for it and herself. She wanted to see. Mm. Um, and so they go to this course and she said, you know, they taught us about guns and gun safety and wildlife identification and habitat and conservation. And all the while she kept waiting for where in here does it help me justify killing another animal? Mm. And I don't know if I can do it. And I, I'm concerned about my son, how he would feel if he ever had the opportunity and took the life of another animal. And she was waiting for that epiphany to happen through this course and kept waiting and waiting. It's a week long course. The day they got to talking about ethics and fair chase, that's when the light bulb went off for her. And she said, once they explained that, they gave, everybody got Jim Posowitz's book, Beyond Fair Chase, uh, to take home and read. And she could just, she could see it in her son's eyes. She said, you know, the light bulb went off in him. We had a a real good conversation in the car on the way home. And and her takeaway from that is now I get it. I I can see that this is an honorable thing that the animals are respected, that the animals are utilized, that there's this code of conduct. And, you know, I can feel good about my son hunting under those conditions. Yeah. Huh. And so that, that right That's there cool. is the essence of fair chase. Right. And she wanted to, she came in to thank Boone and Crockett for oh, fair really? chase. Wow. And here I thought, oh, okay, you know, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, oh, you, you cool. Bambi killer and no, this, and that was it. Yeah, she just walked out. Huh? That's a that's a remarkable story. It makes you wonder how many other people are in that situation. And, and I was having this discussion this weekend on our hunt. Are in that situation where they'd like to learn more about hunting, but I think those of us who grew up with it, it was our life, kind of our community, our family, everything. We take for granted how how big that hurdle is to understand hunting, to understand the motivations, the food acquisition, the 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 whole ball that is hunter and hunting. You take someone who's twenty five years old who did not grow up in a little town like I did, who by age ten already knew. Every, could recite every type of caliber and load and, and gauge and, and action. And, you know, the, the, I was absorbing so much just growing up there that I had no idea there was that much information about hunting, the, the tactics, the, the, the parts of it, the, the raw laws and regulations, but then the cultural, social, uh, other, I'll call it softer science part of, of it. And uh, one of my camera guys, Michael, he's 24. He just, he picked up hunting at age 20. And he told me, he's like, Randy, you have no idea how hard it is to one, become a hunter if you didn't grow up in it. Two, to understand it of what it means. He said, your passion for hunting cannot be understood by someone very easily. All your commitment to all these volunteer causes you do, your passion for conservation, everything else. He said to an outsider, he said, five years ago before I started hunting, I would have thought this guy might've lost his rock. Uh, 
And so it's good for me to have those moments, kind of like this lady who came into your office, to understand that who I'm communicating with isn't necessarily someone who's spent 52 years in a hunting community like I have. Well, it's interesting you you bring that up because that's one of the things that's bubbling to the surface through this effort, uh, you know, on the website, on the forum, on social media. Um, We're seeing a number of younger hunters, Mm-hmm. 20, 25 that have come into hunting from a, you know, kind of a non-typical way, meaning they didn't grow up hunting. And the thing that's, that seems to be resonating or bubbling up with these folks is they like the concept of fair chase because it provides a moral connection to the game they're hunting. Right. Yep. I and get that in all of these younger about, people. It's not about trophy. It's not about the kill. It's that connectivity that says, okay, the activity is more important than me. Uh, the process is more important than the result. And, 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 that, and that, that's a buy-in. It's, it's kind of that, um, you know, Gen X thrill seeker guy. We're seeing more and more people that are, you know, training in the gym. They they want to hunt with a backpack. They want to go in deep. Uh, you know, they want to test themselves physically. Kind of, mm-hmm. and, and we saw this. You know, when that whole extreme sport thing came along, and right. a bunch of us hunters going, "Well, hunting's the original extreme sport." <laughs> it is. <laughs> well, these younger, this younger generation of hunters are coming in, going, "Yeah, I mean, this is this is rock climbing and survival and and endurance and testing." You know, all rolled into one. Right. So, but that moral connection to the game we hunt, um, you know, that's a very core principle behind Fair Chase is, you know, this, this, this is high level stuff. Right. And it's not to be taken lightly and, you know, cheating, taking shortcuts, taking the easy route, you know, you know, overusing technology, uh, you know, some people say, well, that's kind of stacking the odds in your favor because we're at a disadvantage. Those things are starting to, you know, move to the forefront as that's what's important to me. Yeah. Um, and and the, the no guarantees nature of hunting. That's, uh, yeah. That's, that's huge. That appeals to, at my age, that appeals to me as much as anything. Sure. Is... I don't want the guarantee. I want I want I want every day to be almost like a, an un, unopened Christmas gift. What's in here? What what's the day hold? And you never know what it is. And and that's where at this point in my life so many of these things you're talking about that the club Boone and Crockett Club is is talking about in this initiative just hit me right at the heart of where I am right now. And I'm I, I I hope more people can see it for the effort that it is rather than try to say, oh, they're telling me how to behave. Well we're we're hopeful for that too. And that's you know, honestly, that's the initial reaction is, oh, mm-hmm. here we go. You right. know, somebody's talking about it. I think, well, here's Boone and Crockett telling us what you know, what to do and what not to do and Oh, you talk about ethics. All that does is divide hunters when we should be united and we're in a minority. And, and you know, ethics is just leaving ammunition. You know, this kind of discussion, you know, hunters arguing with each other over things. 
is just fodder for anti-hunting right. and divide and conquer divide and conquer and and you know un- unfortunately you know my opinion these these folks have missed the big picture um but what we're seeing happening is that's kind of sorting itself out you know people are coming in and going no nah, no this this there's something to this fair chase thing that's important and that that's not it yeah you know if if you're concerned about uh, you know, anti-hunters uh, picking up on the fact that we're policing ourselves, then you've already accepted the fact that our image matters. Yeah. So <laughs> that's what, right. what's, what's yeah. the problem with projecting a good image? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, th- those, some of those early arguments that were showing up through this effort are, are getting undressed. Yeah. Um, and then obviously, you know, like we already talked about, nobody wants to be that guy swimming against the current. Yeah. And, you know, we are hunting today uh, because the majority of sportsmen for the past century have held themselves to a high standard, period. Yeah. Right. If uh, not, we it, would not oh, be here. Today. Society would have done away with this a long time ago. It wouldn't have mattered about how much conservation funding or how many conservation benefits hunting provides or food or any of that stuff like that. You get, you get tagged with, with bad behavior and disrespect for animals when, the, I mean, how many people are pet owners in this country? Right. Own dogs, cats, for, you know, right. you're mistreating animals, your day's done. Exactly. Uh, so, you know, we're not, we're not maintaining pets here. We're, we're harvesting and consuming. Right. So you really better be doing it better, stronger, faster. Yeah. You, no doubt. And it's, <clears throat> you, you and I were on the phone about a month or two ago talking about some things as this program was getting launched. And you said something that it struck me. And I've kind of designed a couple stories for hunts we're going on this year about this. And I was telling you how I love the effort it takes to go into places to find where the hand of man has not altered the landscape very much, which is harder and harder to find these days and requires more and more effort. And you said, you know, Randy, that is part of that facet of fair chase that we want people to get to, to think about that going that extra effort, wanting to be in a place where wildlife and their ability to escape is not compromised by roads or cities or reservoirs or whatever. And it never struck me that that is part of the, how conservation of, of wild places and this fits into that fair chase discussion until you said that I'm like, Holy crap. Why did I not see it that way? But yeah, well, I mean, that's (laughs) if we wanted to eliminate all game, we could, we have, we have that capability. Yeah. Uh, and, and as your listeners know, and the most sportsmen know, that's not the point. Right. Uh, you know, we choose to limit ourselves. I mean, look how many people are taking up bow hunting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then within that, how many, the resurgence of, of, you know, recurves and, and longbows. Yeah. Limiting even further. Um, I, I, there's nobody I know that won't tell you that some of their most rewarding and memorable experiences when they came home empty handed. Mm-hmm. you know, they, oh, they, I've, you know, win, lose, or draw, they put in the effort, you know, they got close, just wasn't the shot, wasn't the right animal, you know, whatever the circumstance was. And, 
Hey, the cooler's empty, but my heart's full. <laughs> That's a good cooler's empty, but heart is full. Yeah, that needs to be a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, I'm the communications guy. That's what they pay me for. Yeah, right. Okay. Oh, but I I just think about that as all the ways that conservation. And I don't know if the fair chase ethic drove conservation, if conservation drove the fair chase ethic, or they're just so entwined that you really can't separate one from the other. They're they're entwined. Um, you know, historically, they kind of came together at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that 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 idea of leaving some for tomorrow, and and advocating for wildlife and obviously you're advocating for hunting something you like to do and there's Mm -hmm. nothing wrong with that those things go hand in hand Um, but preserving that if you care enough and that's important enough for you no matter what it is in life um, you'll work toward that you'll do the things necessary for that yeah and um, you know we're living in, in abundance today you know we don't have I mean, my, I can tell my dad, I grew up in Ohio, and my dad was telling me stories when there were, were no deer in Ohio. I mean, yeah. if you saw a deer track, you called the neighbors, <laughs> and everybody came running over. Yeah. Um, but that conservation ethic still persists with all the game that we have, you know, with all the tags you can get. Uh, that's, that's special. Right. You know, people still respect the game, the opportunity, the privilege. Uh, there's a lot of, of messaging that we have in, in the campaign. One of them is, you know, hunt the experience, not the animal. Um, and and that, you know, that's that says a lot. Um, well, I, you're. It, it's kind of an inner decision of I'm going to put myself to this standard, this level. It, it goes back to something I was told as a youngster of discipline yourself so others don't have to. <laughs> you're you're yeah. kind of saying, I want to behave this way. I want this type of experience, even though I don't, I, I, there's no boundary, no law that says I have to. This is what I want out of it, both for my own fulfillment, but also because it... <laughs> To tell that story versus maybe some story of oh I you know we I could pull a hundred different examples of stories that maybe aren't really what we want the hunting experience to be defined by uh, those people who are doing that are it, it's how do I say that it is part of the tradition of hunters that I've known all my life that I've read about going all the way back of. And you said it, we're going to try to hold ourselves to a different standard. We're going to expect more of ourselves. We're going to expect to give more. Uh, I know of no other activity in America that has the volunteerism of the hunting community. Maybe there is, and I just am not aware of it. Well, there's, I mean, there's conservation going on around the world at great levels, it has nothing to do with hunting. I mean, there's people involved in rainforest and frogs mm-hmm. and moss and this and that and the other thing. Uh, but you're right. If if you these are the folks that are committed time and treasure yeah. to you know, it's, I I akin it to you know 
planting a tree knowing you'll never eat from its fruit or sit in its shade. Yeah. And that, that's kind of the mentality of sportsmen. Yeah. Um, and I don't think the majority of folks aren't doing this to have a good image. No. It's just what they get out of it. Yeah, this, exactly. is, this, is, this is, these are those values that we're trying to bring forward in this effort. And these are the values that we're trying to uh, have come out of this so that people, non-hunters will see what we already know. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think for the most part, hunters welcome seeing this surge of activity of people wanting to get outdoors, yeah. wanting to know where their foods come from, I do. wanting to know the origins of their meat. Uh, cause these are all things we know. Yeah. Yeah. We, we've been there, done that, doing it for a long time. See, seeing that trend excites me and gets me so hopeful for the future of hunting. I, I did a, an event in Nashville uh, in March. I was asked to go and do this pint night thing. And I didn't know how many people were going to be there. A person picked me up and it was advertised as hunting on public land seminar or talk. <clears throat> and so the guy picks me up. I said, how many people do you think will be there? Oh, 10 to 15. I'm like, oh, okay, that's fine. I wasn't doing anything on this night anyhow. <clears throat> we pull up to the to the brewery, the brew pub, where they're having it, and there's a line coming out. You can't even get in the building. And I'm like, wow, maybe Garth Brooks is here. Maybe I can get his autograph for my niece or something. And I look, and this room they've rented is chocked full of people. I'm like, they must think someone else is coming. Well, most of them who were there were there interested because of the food aspect. And they, uh, some of them didn't own a firearm or a bow or anything. Most of them were from an urban area of Nashville or one of the bigger areas in Georgia or Kentucky or Memphis. And when I asked for a show of hands, just about every one of them was there because of their interest in food and the fact that they wanted to learn how you could go out on the public lands and acquire their food. own food. Yep. That was an eye-opener for me like nothing in the last five years. The, these people were so interested. They traveled long distances. And it wasn't they wanted, they didn't want Randy to tell a big story. I shot the big bull, you know, the kind of man versus nature I conquered and I won. They just wanted to know how and where and how is it that I can go out on the public land and do this stuff? Because then they found out how much public land Tennessee actually has. There's quite a bit of federal land in Tennessee. And then you just see this in their mind like, wow, I can go and get morels or I can go catch fish or I can go hunt rabbits or deer or whatever. And that is part of the process, I think, that brings them to an understanding of where we as hunters have been ever since we started hunting. Sure. It, it, it was such a huge change for me to see that many young people there wanting to hear what little I might have to say about the topic. Well, and that's, you're right, that is encouraging. We're seeing that more and more. Um, you know, the whole local vor, eat local, eat healthy, eat organic. Um, 
you know, I'm sure you've talked to Shane about his wild harvest initiative and, yep. and studying all that and the, the science behind that and how critical it is to conservation. It, it's all part of this conservation ethic package yeah. of which Fair Chase is under that umbrella. Yeah. So one of the things you mentioned just a little bit ago was telling the good story. So the initiative, are you guys putting out ideas, tools, suggestions, or just, uh, I guess, how do, how, do we, how do you guys see or how do we as the hunting world tell that good story? Well, that's, that's a good question. Um, we're working on it. Uh, okay. this, this, this website is, is alive and fluid. We're adding things to it all along. We're learning I mean, we put out there what we thought would be a great starter. Mm -hmm. uh, we're seeing where the conversations are going. We're seeing where we might be deficient in a particular area. Uh, we've got a section on there, how to talk about hunting. Um, we're working on bringing forth more of these good stories uh, that folks can share. Uh, we're working on trying to develop some, some short videos that people can share, you know, uh, I, my mother-in-law hates the fact that I hunt. I, I can't talk to her, but hey, send her this video. Yeah. You know, maybe she'll get it. Uh, so we're working on developing those products. This is a two-year initiative, by the way. So, okay. uh, you know, we'll be at this long into next year. So it's, it's, it's good for people to keep coming back to the website. There's you know, more and more being added. Um, so, you know, telling that good story you know, when I said our goal is to help uh, more sportsmen become good brand ambassadors, well, if, if we don't provide you with the tools, we've, we've, right. we've failed. That's, right, that's where so, I was going with that. Uh, um, the initial tools are this story that we've talked about, you know, where fair chase come from, where hunting ethics fit as a conservation ethic. Uh, so that's good background material, but that's, that's kind of the starter kit. We're working on some of these other things. Um, you know, you and I are going to be working on some video stuff. We're doing this podcast. Yeah, uh, I've got some other folks helping us out with some video content for for people to look and share. So, um, you know, this is an effort. It's a campaign. Yeah. It's an initiative. It 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 yeah. it's, it's not contained in in one box that shows up at the door. Because yeah. uh, there is a lot to this, and there's a lot of topical issues out there that people are wanting to talk about. Um, oh, a million I mean, of them. It's, you know, <laughs> you know, baiting and deer breeding technology and can and, shoots and yeah. technology and extreme right. long-range shooting. And, you know, is this fair chase? Is that fair chase? And, you know, we're trying to help folks work through that and, and get some perspective. Um, you know, legal versus ethical is a big Right. Big topic. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and then, you know, kind of what, what this guy's doing over here doesn't affect me and you know, and so, you know, it's 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 a big big thing to chew and we're getting there and we're starting to uh get a lot of good input and feedback from people that are coming and saying, you know, hey, here's my thought, here's my perspective. Have you thought about this? I'm I'm struggling with this or I've seen that and you know we're looking at those things and saying yeah we 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 probably need to talk more about that let's have a conversation about that yeah so we're also using um the people that are participating and coming to the site and the forums to help 
direct some of this content as well. Yeah. Uh, there's there's no way we can sit there and say, well, we know everything. <laughs> uh, we know the history, we know the relevance and the importance, but you know some of the nuances uh, to this whole thing, uh, you know, they need to be developed and discussed. And that was really the whole point is we used to have this conversation, then we stopped. We think it's important to have this conversation again. Yeah. And, and so we're having it. Yeah. When a voice goes quiet or on low volume for 30 years, you're not going to be able to change that in three months. This no, is, this is, but this is, you know, Randy, this has been brewing for a while. I oh mean, yeah. even before Cecil the Lion oh and, yeah. you know, the GoPro Spear Bear guy, yeah. uh, there, there was unrest. There mm -hmm. was folks going, you know, I, I just don't like the direction of my hunting. Right. What I'm seeing, uh, how this is, you know, I don't like seeing people dancing over dead deer and fist pumping and, you know, I, you know, it's, so there's, there was unrest, uh, already happening and, and this is a way to, you know, kind of, you know, harness that and, and hopefully put it into a good positive direction Yeah. so that there's a good outcome here because like we said at the, the top of this podcast, uh, there are more people paying attention, watching social media as as put a lens on this. We're in a bubble, um, and, and we just can't say this isn't matter anymore. And you know anything goes. Yeah. Uh, there, there, there's too many examples where society would just swoop in and go, uh -uh. <laughs> yeah, and we'll we'll be done. Yeah, I mean, we'll be marginalized to the point that you will never get it back. It, to me, I view the, this, this if you want to call it acceptance, if you want to look at it in a real estate term of, okay, society has granted us this turf to to be relevant. It's almost like once turf gets plowed up and and on you know wild land gets converted to houses it never gets converted back to wild land mm -hmm. once we lose this turf if you want to call it that way we're not getting it back yeah i've we, been just spoke to some of my friends up in british columbia yesterday going you know is this grizzly bear thing going to get overturned i, I don't know yeah i mean w once that kind of thing gets on the books yeah I, yeah, you don't see that coming unwound. It's it, it usually doesn't happen that way. And all of this stuff in the Boone and Crockett Club, you're very modest in all this, Keith. And and I'm a lifetime associate, so I get Fair Chase Magazine, but I read and consume conservation history as one of my favorite topics. And you guys, going back to when Roosevelt and many of these other conservation leaders founded the club. You guys have, if there's one thing you've done is you've, you've had a vision, you've been leaders. When the political climate wasn't always conducive or, or comfortable for leading, the Boone and Crockett Club was leading and you followed through on what you said you were going to do. And for you guys to pick this up and say, you know what? The volume has been too low on this topic for too long. 
There's no no group that excites me more to see carrying this message than you guys because of your legacy and your history of of what you have given hunting but what you what the what the Boone and Crockett Club gave America in terms of conservation is a story that needs to be told. We in the hunting world need to understand that story and and I know you're too modest to tell it but well, it's there. It, it is there, and I appreciate you acknowledging that. Um, you know, I've, I've had to deliver this sermon, if you will, many times because people are, well, tell me about the Boone and Crock Club. The best way I can answer that is literally everything that we have today relative to wildlife and habitat conservation, the legislation, the public lands, public access, wildlife science, funding for conservation, game laws, bag limits, uh, the careers in biology and wildlife management and range management and ecosystem management, uh, the legislation that established national parks, national yeah. wildlife refuges, yeah. the expert agencies. Right. The uh, Antiquities Act. The uh, Antiquities Act that's, uh, you know, in the news right now. Um, the... Uh, uh, you know, National Park Service, National Fish and Wildlife Service, yeah. uh, National... All of this. All of this stuff got got done. Of course, we had a ringer because Roosevelt was the president. Right. But all of that stuff got done by Boone and Crockett Club members. And most importantly, I think for your listeners, sportsmen did this. Right. Same people as you, same people as me. Mm -hmm. They were just in a place and a time and in a position to ram all this stuff through. Right. And so, you know, all these things that we, you know, take for granted. I mean, we're, we're sitting here an hour and a half away from Yellowstone Park. Right. That was the very first initiative of the Boone and Crockett Club. Save Yellowstone Park from logging, mining, and poaching in the railroad. Right. And, and, and George and, Bird Grinnell made it his, made his it, life work. Made it his life work. He he was co-founder of the club with, with Roosevelt. Yeah. And, you know, unfortunately, you go to Yellowstone, there's not a plaque or a sign saying, thank you, sportsman. Yeah. You know, there's a little thing, Roosevelt cabin deal. Right. But none of that history is down there. Yeah. Glacier National Park, same thing. This year's the 100th anniversary of Denali, which was Mount McKinley National right. Park. That was, Sheldon. That, that was Charles Sheldon, yeah. Boone and Crockett member. He brought that to the club. Club members looked at that, and, and people started raising their hands around the room. I can get this guy. I can get this vote. We need this legislation. I can get the media. We can get this done. And boom, here we got Denali. Right. And, and that was Sheldon's passion for the white ram. Yeah, that was it. And, and so there's so many of these untold stories that I wish... I wish hunters understood. I wish we had time to cover them all. And I'm, uh, if there's a common trait among all of those, and people will say, oh, well, those were all well-connected people. They were all wealthy Easterners or wh whatever they might say. Well, we're we're <laughs> rich white elites. That's that we're hearing through the campaign. Uh, you know, oh, really? These guys. Yeah, That's well, what people are saying. Well, well, you know, you, you obviously there's you got your detractors, and right. you got your you know your internet trolls, and they're going, wow, here's these rich white elite Boone and Crockett guys telling yeah. us what to do again. Well, yeah, well, I just well, I just gave you the story of the rich white elites and what they did. Yeah, and so I look at those people, 
And regardless of what their position was, the greater your position, the greater risk you take when you try to change the status quo. So imagine telling market hunters, you're done. Imagine this booming trade in the feathers for fashion. Mm -hmm. And along comes Roosevelt and says, you know what, boys? We're done killing migratory birds for ladies' hats. And oh, by the way, I'm going to put together the Pelican Island National Wildlife Refuge. People would say, well, yeah, he could do that because he had a position of power. But the greater his position of power, the greater the resistance, the greater the risk, oh, the greater yeah. everything. Hey, we're, you know, we talked about this Antiquities Act and, and you know, and they're obviously public lands and, and public access is a big hot topic right now. Roosevelt came in and told the, the timber barons, the timber companies, you're done. Yeah. I'm taking 250 million acres of your product and setting it aside for the American people. Yeah. I think about how much risk that represented. Oh. That was leadership. Timber at that time, timber and railroads. And railroads ran were, the West. Yeah. They were the largest lobby. By far. They, they controlled things. Yeah. And, and, and Roosevelt said, you're not putting a railroad through Yellowstone Park. You're not cutting all these trees for railroad ties. Mm-hmm. You know, this is, this is, this mm-hmm. is public land. It, there's a, there's a new sheriff in town and we got a new system and a new way to treat and value natural resources. And it's not all going to be commercial. Yeah. yeah. But they, you know, Roosevelt did realize that we needed goods and services. Right. So, you know, obviously there was going to be logging, but it was going right. to be done wisely. Wisely. Yeah. We're just not going to mow it. And and public access number one. Yeah. We need advocates. You know, people value what 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 they have access to and what they can use and benefit from, and disregard the rest. Yeah. And, and the reason I say that it, is to put it in the context of okay, he might have been Roosevelt, he might have been Pinchot, Grinnell, Sheldon. Uh, the list goes on and on and on. Hornaday. The every one of them accepted the fact that. Speaking on behalf of wild places and wild things was never going to be easy. It was at times going to be quite uncomfortable because you were going to have friends, family, coworkers, peers who criticized your position. And it probably was never convenient. When you read some of the writings of Grinnell, you could almost see this exasperation of... Where did this come from? Well, I thought this was all good. And along comes this, this uh, attack on what we value. Or in other instances, it was, holy cow, look at this opportunity. I wish I was more prepared. I wish I could marshal a greater force here. Sure. But they all accepted it wasn't easy, it wasn't convenient, and it wasn't necessarily comfortable. Well, and all of us, even if we're not one of those guys, if you are in this hunting community, being an ambassador, being a hunter, being a conservationist, doing the right thing isn't always going to be easy, isn't always going to be comfortable, and may not be convenient. No, you're you're going to catch spears. Yeah. Uh, you know, whether it was back in the day when they were, you know, completely redoing the model. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and that, that was a complete makeover. Right. I mean, <clears throat> opposition was coming from livelihoods and industry you know commercial market hunters i mean jobs were hard to find on the prairie Mm -hmm. and now all of a sudden 
you're, you're done. You're done shooting buffalo. You're done yeah. shooting deer. You're done shooting elk. You're done selling that meat and those hides and, and feeding your family. Yeah, not popular. Yeah. You know, this effort, you know, the hunt fair chase thing, you know, it was not popular. Mm-hmm. You know, these guys were coming along saying, uh, there's no longer a year-round hunting season. It's going to be in the fall. Right. And there's going to be a reasonable bag limit, and you're going to need to buy a license. <laughs> Complete not change. Popular, not popular, <laughs> even within the hunting community. Right. But the driver was, these guys were going, it's probably the right thing to do because there ain't no deer left. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. I want to go hunting deer. I got to go farther, deeper to another state, you know. Yeah. And sooner or later, that's going to be depleted without yeah. regulation, without science, so, without you know, self-discipline. They, there there was some initial thrash, but sportsmen uh, really did step up and go, okay. And then, you know, something else that we haven't talked about, in the midst of the Great Depression, right? sportsmen's choosing to tax themselves, the Pittman-Robertson Act. Yeah. I mean, these guys are standing in soup lines and going, yeah, charge me 11% more sales tax for my shotgun shells right. and send that money so that we can have more ducks. Yeah. that To me, if people understand the history of when some of these things happen, it gives it so much context. Can you imagine going to a farmer in the dirty 30s and say, can you leave... A, a, a band there for pheasants or for sage grouse or can you maybe leave a little crop there for deer? Can you not dewater the stream in the dust bowl because the fish need something? And a lot of those people did that. Yeah. That is, that's commitment. That is, that is a conservation ethic that well, is those, remarkable and it's what built the system we have and got us to where we are today. Those are people of the land. And, yeah. you know, we're surrounded by those people here in Montana, thankfully. Yeah. Uh, you know, land. Yeah. Land. It, this, I, I just, the, all of these stories that involve conservation and conservation history fascinate me to no end because I see a lot of parallels today, both societally, politically, maybe economically. A lot of our decisions end up being in the same kind of juxtaposition of all these other pressures where it would be easy to say, well, you know, that's just not worth it. I, I, I'm not up for that. And I think taking on a campaign like this, like you guys have this uh, hunt, right? Uh, hunt fair chase. There's probably some days where you said, you know, we, <laughs> we could have easily just said, hey, let's find something better to do. But yeah. it's worthwhile. It is worthwhile. Um, it, it's great to see, you know, the number of people coming to the website, engaging, sharing, weighing in, letting us know what they think for good or for ill. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, not everybody's, uh, you know, doing backflips. But, you know, if we're not actively policing ourselves. Someone will. Someone will. I mean, I, I don't. I don't want to be the guy that's called up before Congress over some Cecil II and right. go, "What are you guys doing about this?" And I go, "Well, uh, let me get back to you." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't want to be able to say, "Well, here, you know, <clears throat> here are these people. They're engaged. We got this. We got that going. There's these conversations going. You know, this culturally, these people are you know well behaved and follow the law and." you know, go beyond the law and have this code of ethics. 
Yeah, that, that's uh, that, a way better answer. That's than, way better than I'll get back to you. <laughs> uh, well, knowing that both of us are kind of traveling and running, uh, the website is huntfairchase.com. Yep. Okay. You uh, you got anything there where people can kind of wear, wear the colors or rep the We're, cause? You can sign up and get a free decal. We've got a really cool, uh, you know, window decal. Cool. Um, hats, shirts, hoodies, that kind of stuff is coming. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can, you know, you can fly the flag. Yeah. And uh, we hope people will do that. I mean, yeah. that's 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 brand ambassadors. Right. Uh, you know, and this this fair chase is a brand. We've had it for a hundred years. Like I said, we're just we're knocking the rust off of it. Yeah. Well, I thank you guys for all you do, Keith. It's uh, if anyone ever gets the chance, they need to go to your headquarters over there in Missoula. I I try to not make a nuisance of myself when I'm over uh, there. But there's uh, there's 14 committed people there that churn out more work than you can believe. I know it's it's amazing. In your magazine, folks, uh, I I can't say enough about the Fair Chase magazine. And then the reason that it, actually when I went on the trip to Wyoming this week at night, I've got it out. I'm, I'm reading it. It's, you guys bring on these issues. You have discussions. You have some science discussions. You have some public land and land use discussions. But you always have at least one feature long length article in there that causes my mind to look at something slightly different than where my biases had previously led me. And hunting needs more of that kind of content and less of the 10 ways to kill a big buck today. Yeah, yeah you won't, won't get much of that there. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that's, that's, that's the role the club has, has played since Roosevelt Day is have the conversation. Let's let's flip this rock over and look at it a different way. Maybe we're doing something right. Maybe we're doing something wrong. Yeah. Maybe this needs change. Yeah. Maybe we need to invest more in, you know, this type of science and this type of knowledge. Maybe we need to carry this to the to the non hunting public and let them look at it through a different lens. So um yeah, that that's that's quietly been the work of the club, and I say quietly because that was we kind of still operate under Roosevelt's banner of walk softly and carry, carry a big, big stick. stick. Yeah, you know, he just the club didn't run out and take credit for all this stuff. Right, and you know, a lot of times it looks like we're just completely written out of history. And when you talk about national parks or wildlife refuges. You go on Wikipedia. There's there's no mention of Boone and Crockett in there. Right. There's no mention of of any hunter conservation or sportsman. Just like I said about signs at Yellowstone. Yeah. But that was part of that was by design. I mean, that was Roosevelt's way, and some of these other you know influential industrialists, businessmen that were mm-hmm. club members. They go, right. you know, we're not doing this for us. Right. And that's we're that do, balance. We're not doing this to, you know, pat each other on the back or give each other awards. And, you know, it, it's, it's the right thing to do. So let's let's get it done. I'm going to apply what resources and influence I have. And it got done. And they probably sat back and went, okay, what's next? Yeah. Well, as long as I have platforms, it's part of my job to promote what the Boone and Crockett Club has I done. I appreciate that, right? I. I, and I know people hear me say it a lot. It's, 
it is where the, the seeds were sown that are bearing the fruit today. Back in 1887, Seven. Seven, yep. those seeds were planted, they've been fertilized, and we are the beneficiaries of that effort today. And I want the hunting community to at least understand it and know their own history. Because if we don't know our own history, how do we expect the rest of the world to understand our history? And without our history, the context of who we are today is not correct. Well, our history is our permission to speak. Yeah. That, that's our pedigree. Uh, you'll see in this campaign, fair chase is our permission to speak. I mean, when you're in any type of debate or public forum or whatever, you know, to be heard or understood or acknowledged or accepted, you, you have first had to earn your permission to speak. You just can't walk in off the street and go, hey, listen to me. Right. <laughs> well, fair chase is our permission to speak in this area of hunting ethics. This conservation history is, is all sportsmen's permission to speak. Yeah. We've earned the right at this table to go, hey, you know, I don't like how this goes and here's why. History shows that this is the wrong course. We were able to do this. It needs to be this. Um, so that's something all sportsmen should carry with them. There's a pride in ownership of, of saying, you know, when we talk about natural resource issues and public land and public access and conservation and wildlife, sportsmen have earned their permission to speak. For sure. Well, I hope that everybody listening to this understands that, accepts what you guys are, are, are doing and supports it and goes out to huntfairchase.com, signs up, follows along, interacts. The Facebook discussions have been quite interesting. They're a hoot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, quite somewhat predictable, but still interesting. Mm -hmm. um, and I think you can almost see just within some of the conversations, because some of them will have two, 300 comments, but you can see a sway of where the discussion's going and where some of the critics are just kind of falling by the wayside because they've shot their powder and it's like, oh boy, that was a pretty bad case that they make. And then the discussion carries itself kind of to where you hope it would go. Well, it, you know, it is these things are what they are. And, you know, there's varying opinions on this, as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. You know, we talked about some of the commercial influences in, into hunting. We have those influences that are back. Uh, you know, there's places where you can go to shoot whatever you want to shoot that's been, you right. know, grown. Pick it off a menu almost. Yeah, and, and, and that's a very heated conversation. A majority of folks just do not like how that goes. They don't want to call it hunting. Call it something else, but that's right. not hunting. Um, and then there's the people that make a living doing that. They're jumping in, trying to defend their... And, right. Uh, but like you said, it's, it's, it's evolving. We wanted to initiate the conversation. Uh, those conversations are taking place. They're kind of sorting themselves out. Uh, we're learning. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think the people that are spending some time on the website are learning. And that was the whole point. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you guys doing it. I appreciate you showing up here today as you're traveling through. Sure. And folks, uh, we're all out hunting right now. Uh, hunt right, hunt fair chase. And uh, if you aren't a member already, Keith will never make a plug for himself. So I'm going to... <laughs> Uh, go out to the Boone and Crockett Club website. What is the website? 
womenofcrocketclub.com. Uh, and support them. They are carrying so much weight for us uh, on a, uh, at a time when we need good, uh, reputable thinking voices. You guys are that, Keith, and I can't thank you enough. You're welcome, and thanks, Randy. Yeah. Thanks for listening, folks. We'll uh, Hopefully our next podcast will be after I've uh, spent my days stumbling around a wilderness area of Arizona taking my rifle for a hike, supposedly in search of an elk, but don't, uh, don't bet that the end result's going to be an elk to show for it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, folks. Take care and good luck out in the field.